Spitcast. The future of video production. Quiet on the set. And action. Hi, I'm Michael London, and welcome to Spitcast. The future of collaborative video production. Brought to you by Spitvid.com. On this episode, we're visiting with Rick Scarry. You may not know the name, but you've seen the face hundreds of times. Rick is an actor who has appeared on Desperate Housewives, Weeds, That 70s Show, and so many others. We'll get his perspective from the actor's point of view on the value of spitvid.com. And speaking of television, our second guest today hasn't had cable or satellite for quite a while now, but she is a fan of TV via the Internet. Daisy Whitney, the host of New Media Minute, and This Week in Media will share with us her thoughts on the changing landscape of media production and delivery. So, let's jump right in to this week's Spidcast. Spidcast. First up is character actor extraordinaire Rick Scarry. Rick, so good to talk with you, and welcome to Spidcast. Well, thank you, Michael. It's good to be on here with you. I haven't talked to you in a long time. We've actually known each other for far too long, and uh, I'm not going to say how long, because the people will think we're ready for the for the uh, retirement home. <laughs> yeah, you are right there, and although we haven't talked for a while, I have seen you plenty. In fact, a lot of our listeners have seen you and not known that it's you. I think that's actually the case, is that people see me all the time. They don't know me. I, I, I actually work a lot. I'm a character actor. Uh, it's funny, because when you're, when you're that kind of actor, you're always referred to as that guy. Oh, that guy. And people will run into you in a bank or a supermarket or an airport, and they'll go, they'll look at you, and they'll kind of point, and, and, they'll, and, and they usually say, did we go to high school together? <laughs> because they don't know why they know you. And they do know because you've been in their living rooms in glorious HD. <laughs> well, time to brag a little bit, Rick. Share with us some of your credits, if you please. But I've been very fortunate the last few years. I, I, I've, I've worked all the top television shows in the last couple of years alone. Uh, Desperate Housewives, uh, The Closer, Mad Men, which is a big hit right now, The Office, had a recurring role in Weeds for a whole season, uh, the show Heroes, Bones. I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. My goodness, that's like reading a top ten list of television. It's go- It's been going very, very well, and... Um, and I will give a plug. I do have a Hallmark TV movie coming up in uh, November. It's uh, one of those, you know, tear-jerking love story Hallmark uh, movies on the Hallmark channel called Flower Girl. The title is not one of my favorites, but when you see it, it's very understandable of what it's about. And it's a, it's a terrific movie, and I, I, it's the kind of thing that I, uh, I do a lot of. And, you know, hopefully it'll be successful. Flower Girl, very cool. Now, so folks can put a name to the face. Who do you play? I play the small town uh, pastor at the local church gets involved and you know the, all those Hallmark movies always take place in some fictional town with a name like Willow Grove or something uh, out there in, in Midwest land and I'm the town pastor who uh, who gets involved in people's lives as in real life right so of all these parts that you've played do you have a favorite show you've played on or a favorite cast that you've worked with well, some are quite enjoyable. Uh, you know, I've always, before I, I started working a lot, you'd hear the stories about how horrible people were, and so-and-so had a big ego. And actually, I've only three or four times in my entire career where I ever run into uh, actors who were incredibly unpleasant. For the most part, they're wonderful. I, the most recent show I was on, Bones, couldn't ask for a nicer bunch of people in the world. Every single one of them was just absolutely terrific. And 
And uh, that's that case with everybody, actually. I've, I've, you know, I've loved Kira Sedgwick working a scene with her on the closer. She, she was just one of the nicest people I've ever been around, and the office was just great fun. We laughed until I thought I was going to cry some days. So, you know, for the most part, I have a very uh, easy and wonderful job and actually get paid for it, so it's pretty cool. Well, that's good to hear. Now, Rick, you've taken a pretty traditional route to your career, acting classes, getting an agent and the like, right? I started taking acting classes, boy, when I was a, practically a child in the 60s, and I, I was very fortunate to study with some of the f- legendary ones, including the legendary Stella Adler, who taught Marlon Brando and people like that, and still take acting workshops to this day because it's a craft like anything. You have to practice. Musicians have to practice. Actors have to practice. And uh, I did, and it was very difficult. Uh, in those days, all you had were agents and uh, casting directors and getting yourself known and getting yourself out there. There was no way to expose your talent other than hopefully get into a play and maybe a casting director would come to see you and then you'd get a job. And it worked. It evolved over a course of years. And I'm old enough to where I had to go through that process. Now I'm very fortunate. These days I don't really have to audition much anymore. You just get what's called direct offers where they call you up and say, we'd like him to do this. And and either you say yes or no. I can't believe how difficult it must be for people getting started today. A young actor today has so many elements involved. We never had Internet. We never had the ability to show people our videos of our work. We never had any of those opportunities that exist today. And I think that's probably the most important difference is today's actor has a myriad of ways to put themselves out into the marketplace and try to figure out which one of those is the best way to do it. And so that naturally brings us to Spidvid. So tell us, Rick, from the actor's point of view, what value there would be to an up-and-coming actor at Spidvid.com. Well, the ability to be listed among um, other professionals, that to, to expose yourself to people, and, and this is the, what I love about this, it's not just people in Los Angeles where I live, you could be exposed to people anywhere in the world who's looking for for talent of any kind when it comes to production. And I think that's such a valuable thing today. There are, you know, lots of websites and lots of things that do this sort of thing. But I think if you can place yourself in a in a situation where you're with a reputable, well thought of type of website, the, the, the producers are going to realize that they might might be dealing with somebody who really knows what they're doing. And all you had to present was a carefully retouched headshot, right? <laughs> That's all I had to do, with all the wrinkles taken away. And, uh, today, you've got just so many elements involved. Uh, um, as, as, a, as one of my agents said to me, show business is 10% show 90% business, and that's exactly what it is. Show business, right. It used to be all about the show. Uh, now, you mentioned that there are various places like Guru or Mandy or even Craigslist where an aspiring actor can seek out opportunities. Often the producer is offering to pay little or no money or just offer you meals or a copy of the project or something like that. Talk to the young actor about working for free. Well, it depends on the project. It can be incredibly valuable or it could be an utter waste of time and an eventual embarrassment (laughs) in many cases if it's something horrible that will never go away. I worked for free a lot in my younger days because you wanted the experience of, of being out there to actually be on a set, to interact with other actors, to see what it's actually like. 
Uh, and, you know, because at first you're not sure how all the elements come together because nobody ever teaches you that part of it. They teach you how to portray another person. They don't teach you, you know, to stand here, speak this, do that. Uh, you know, when you see a new actor on a set for the first time, they they look like a deer in the headlights, you know. They don't know what the words mean. Something as simple as hitting your mark. You know, they go, what does that mean? Well, that's where you're supposed to stop when you're walking. Those things actually aren't taught to people. It seems strange, but they're really not. And you have to kind of learn as you do it. And there's no better way to learn doing that stuff than a lot of these incredibly low-budget projects, which may be uh, no pay or you know, just a per diem to, with meals and stuff. Uh, so it's, I think they can be valuable. I think you have to really look at the project and see if it's something you want to be part of. I don't ever encourage anybody just to take anything. Always look at it and see what it is. Oh, that's great advice, Rick. And I'll tell you something, whatever that magic is, whatever that combination is, you have found it because you are so much fun to watch. Well, thank you. Uh, tell folks where they can learn more about you. RickScary.com. Very cool. And one more time, tell us about the Hallmark Channel movie coming up. Well, I believe the debut date is November 14th. And of course, they run them about a thousand times over there. It's called Flower Girl. It uh, stars actually one of the great, uh, it was such a thrill for me, one of the great old characters uh, from uh, Happy Days, uh, Marion Ross, who played Mrs. Cunningham. She's this wonderful old lady in town who's part of my congregation at the church. And the star is a, a wonderful young actress named Marla Sokoloff, who was on the practice for many, many years. And she's just a delight. It was really a wonderful experience. And I, I think it's going to be a fun, fun, enjoyable movie. It's a love story kind of thing. And I hope people like it. We will look for you on that and hopefully many, many projects in the future. I hope you see me so much that you can't take it anymore. Let's put it that way. Rick Scary, wonderful, wonderful actor, wonderful man. Up next, Daisy Whitney with her thoughts on TV, film, the Internet, and stuff. You know how challenging it is to produce quality videos without the help from others who have the skills and talent you need. Well, SpidVid lets you find the individuals you need for your video production project so you can create the Internet's next big viral hit. Visit SpidVid.com, click the sign-up link, and reserve your spot within our collaborative video production community today. SpidCast. Joining us now is the host of New Media Minute and This Week in Media, Daisy Whitney. Daisy, welcome to Spidcast, and tell us how you became interested and involved in new media. Well, in terms of covering new media, you know, I've been a reporter for about 12 or 13 years, and uh, around 2000 or 2001, I was covering technology for Television Week magazine back when it was very unglamorous and unsexy and was racks and servers and transcoding machines and traffic systems at TV stations. Uh, but covering that actually put me in a good position when, uh, when Disney and iTunes did their deal back in 2005 to carry TV shows on iTunes for the very first time. And then that, that brought me sort of very deeply into covering new media. So that was really, it sort of tracked back to that point, and I've been chronicling the online video revolution since then. So as you say, the online media revolution is upon us. So tell us your thoughts about traditional video producers and or studios and how they view individuals connecting worldwide. I don't actually think that studios have a lot of concern yet about collaboration and some of the different efforts that we're seeing. I think that they are so focused right now on what's happening with their businesses and the challenges that they face in their own business models. 
But I think probably in time, as we see more examples, uh, like, like the example that we saw with, uh, with mass animation, the Facebook mass animation project, um, and how that did, I think as we see more examples like that and of what it can bring to the table, that some studios will sit up and take notice. But they're a little bit focused on other things right now. Exactly. I can see how they'd be looking after their immediate concerns. Now, you cover and see lots of uh, independent individuals producing web video shows. Do you feel that they are gradually learning more about how leveraging collaborative production can benefit their overall content quality, especially longer term? I really think that this trend towards collaboration is something that that we're going to see across a lot of different creative fields and media fields. It's definitely something that independent producers are doing, but I also think we're there. I've seen a lot of efforts from big advertising agencies. They're just, in that case, it's a little bit more on the technology side. I mean, using things like WireDrive or different, you know, Adobe Connect tools so that they can share files. I mean, sometimes it's even simple things like Google Docs. But I just think that generally we're seeing this trend within the media business to be able to share information and parts of projects more freely. I mean, even just on a very small basis, you know, I write my new medium and I write the script for it in, in Google Docs and I share it with my husband because he's my videographer. Yes, that's very low tech, I know, but I just think those are, those are the sorts of examples where as you scale up an organization, as you have a studio or an advertising agency or what have you, where they have much more elaborate files and content to share, they're all looking for these type of solutions, and I think that the benefit is a better product. I talked to some folks at a history channel, and they've built some of their own internal productivity tools so that they can share files and promos that they're building within the organization, I'm sorry, within, the, within the network much more easily, and it's actually allowed them to produce more promos for shows. The benefit is they can tailor their promos then to the actual time that it runs, so they can have an edgier one running late in the evening, they can have, you know, one that may, maybe is more appropriate for, for family hour earlier in the day. And that's all because of technology that enables all the different people who are in that department to work together and share what they're working on. Well, technology certainly has opened the door for many talents and individuals that we might not have seen prior to this. Talk to us a bit about Fred. Well, I think that Fred is definitely teaching a lot of people a lot of lessons. Because if you ask folks who are over 20 what they think about Fred, a lot of people just scratch their heads. You really have to have young children to appreciate Fred. I have young kids and they just think he is fantastic. And I think that traditional studios and networks really need to pay attention to why he is popular, who he is speaking to, and what it is that this sort of YouTube generation actually wants. And and I think that we may see some efforts where they try to ape or imitate, you know, in their programming, what a Fred is doing. I just don't know that something like that is going to translate back to TV. I don't think we're going to see real change and a real carryover for probably a few more years. I think the real key is to see that the generation, the, the younger folks who are really enjoying this type of content on a regular basis where it becomes a norm for what they consume. We need to see them grow up a little bit more and then we'll have kind of stronger data and research to figure out, okay, is this really a complete changeover 
in the type of programming and content that people want to see. So then, Daisy, as the Fred kids become teens and young adults, say in the next five to ten years, do you believe that there will be long-form content like uh, quality movies and shows produced by teams with members located all over the planet thanks to the evolution of social platforms and collaboration tools? Well, I'm definitely a fan of collaboration and um, and the Sidvid tools and other things like that. But I still think that each project needs to be evaluated individually to see what what is needed. Is it the type of project that would benefit from collaboration? Is it the type of thing that is going to be better off led by an individual? And I think for every creative endeavor, it, they all really need to be considered discreetly on their own to see what's, best, what, what's going to serve the end product, but I definitely think we're going to see more experimentation. I mean, I think the challenges are just kind of keeping a, you know, a creative thread throughout, making sure that a storyline makes sense. I think, though, that as as there is a, you know, if, if there, I think you probably need one person at least on a project, you know, to take charge for that sort of collaboration to really work. It needs to be clear. I'm mean, going to go back to the Facebook mass animation example. Um, and I think one of the reasons that, uh, that that project is a short film that's going to be running before Planet 51 in theaters, which I think actually comes out in November, and so it's a terrific film. I think one of the reasons that works is that the director behind it, Yair Landau, has such a strong creative vision and presence in general um, that he was able to, you know, just, just give guidelines and set the agenda. So I think that's going to be a really good test bat, if you will, for what we'll start to see next. If that's successful, I think we'll definitely see bigger projects that are produced on a collaborative basis. Now, speaking of that traditional delivery and consumption of media, you've been without a cable TV connection for a while now. Do you see more uh, cord cutting happening as more video shifts to the web and more viewers buy into broadband TV? Well, I'd like to see more of it. (laughs) I want people to join my cable-free army. Um, I think there's some conflicting evidence out there right now in terms of whether people are shifting towards cord cutting. Um, I, you know, there there are still. I think there are a lot of folks who are still really interested in trying uh, um, Verizon FiOS TV, for instance. I don't have that. I hear great things about it. It's one of the services where I think a lot of people who have it don't hate the cable company and they like a lot of the other benefits of it. So I think there's still a lot of competition from multi-channel video providers, from cable providers who are, who are fighting, but fighting as hard as they can to keep customers and to win some of the newer customers. But I definitely think as online delivery becomes stronger, as more things come online, and just as there's more evangelism, if you will, you know, maybe from people like me and other people, about how you can live this completely cable-free lifestyle, and you still get to see everything. I think we'll definitely see more of a shift. I, I've become a big fan of the Fox show Glee, and it airs on uh, television on Wednesday nights. And we, you know, I don't, I don't have cable, so even I could get it over the air on broadcast. But I just, you know, see, I don't, I don't want to watch the commercials, frankly. So in my house, it feels like it's on on Thursday night on Hulu, and we just kind of have that in our minds, and, and that's when Glee is on. And I, I think it's just, once you start doing it, it's just a matter of, you know, kind of training yourself in those little things. Like, you see the show maybe a day later than most other people do. I still think from a mainstream standpoint, we're definitely a ways off. I, you know, I'll run into friends of mine at the grocery store, and they'll say things like, oh, is that show on tonight? Well, we better go watch it. And it's so, it's, it's foreign to me, because the show is on 
when I want to watch it. Yeah, I agree on that. I want my media when I want it and where I want it. Now, speaking of where and when, Daisy, where can Spidcast listeners go to read, listen, and watch what you are covering in online video? The best place to find me online is on my website, daisywhitney.com, and my new media minute is carried there, and there also are links out to the different podcasts that I do, like This Week in Media, Um, and I'm also keeping a largely regular blog. I blog about two, three days a week about the writing process and my path to publication because my first uh, novel, which is for teenagers, is coming out next fall from Little Browns, and it's called The Mockingbird. So I've been writing about that, so you can find everything you need to know there. Daisy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. My thanks to Daisy Whitney and Rick Scarry for joining us on this week's Spidcast, and thank you for listening. You can join in on the conversation by visiting spidcast.com. We welcome your thoughts, opinions, and feedback. I'm Michael London. Till next week. Spidcast.